Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, the Ringer is launching a new podcast feed called Boom Bust, the new hub for narrative podcasts documenting the rise and fall of companies, celebrities, and trends. Season one, hosted by our own Alyssa Bereznak, takes you through this spectacular journey of HQ trivia, the once $100 million industry-altering company turned disaster. Alyssa interviewed dozens of former employees, investors, journalists, and fans, bringing you the -the behind-the-scenes story of how HQ crumbled from within. Subscribe to Boom Bust HQ Trivia and check out the first two episodes out now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the JJ Reddick podcast with Tommy Alter. Uh, this week we have a very special guest. I think this is the first time we've actually had a Ringer coworker on the pod, Shea Serrano from the Ringer. Thanks, Ben. I thought you were going to say this is the first time we had a Mexican on the show, which I think is also <laughs> that, true, by the way. That is also true. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about that, but all right, we can go with that. <laughs> we can go with that. Yeah. Shay, how's uh, how's it going? Is your is your like work life that different? Because you don't you don't live in L.A., right? You live in San Antonio. Yeah, I live in Texas, San Antonio. It's not too different. The only the the main difference is I don't go to the office anymore. I have an office that I rent downtown. I haven't been there for maybe like a little over two months, but like the, the like actual workflow is exactly the same. There's nothing different. Um, and and you have kids. So this is where you and I have something in common because the kids, the kid component during quarantine and isolation adds a little bit of an extra element that Tommy just <laughs> has not experienced. I don't yeah, know. All of the, I can't all relate. Of the, all of the people without kids, this is like the greatest time of their life. They're just hanging out and having fun. And all of the parents are like, this is our World War II. Like this is as close as we're ever going to get. Yeah. This is Shady. something that will go down like 20 years from now. Yeah, I think about too, like my, uh, I'm getting ready to have a, a, uh, another um, niece. She's, <clears throat> uh, my, my sister-in-law's pregnant and is, is due next month. And like the baby's being born, like my kids are really young. I don't know how old your kids are, but like my kids are so young. And I like remember, I, I'm like, I'm wondering what they're going to remember about this 20 years from now. How many kids do you have? I have two boys. They're getting ready to turn oh, okay. six and four. Yeah. So the six-year-old, I, Knox, the oldest, I think he'll he'll remember some of this. I'm not so sure about Kai, though. Yeah, he'll probably just catch the edges the edges of it. Mine are, I have two that are about to be 13 in a couple of weeks, and then one that's seven. So we're, we're a little bit uh, ahead of you. But yeah, your six-year-old will remember like a tiny bit. He's just going to remember hanging out at the house with you is all he's going to remember, would be my guess. I took the, I took the youngest, Kai, on a on a little lunch date today, we rode our bike with our masks on, of course, through Brooklyn Bridge Park all the way down to Red Hook and then hooked back around and went to the Shake Shack in our neighborhood. And he just standing in line, super frustrated. Man, I hate the coronavirus. Why do I always have to wear a mask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny to, to hear like the little kids already talking shit about coronavirus. My youngest one does the same thing. He's like, this sucks. This is the worst. I want to get into a little bit about uh, just your background. So from what I understand, you were a a middle school teacher mm-hmm. looking for a side hustle. And so yeah. you started doing just like odd writing jobs to earn a little bit of extra flow. And that became something much greater. That's exactly what it was. I taught middle school science for nine years. And right around the beginning of that is when the twins were were about to be born and Laramie, my wife was a teacher as well, and she had some pregnancy complications. She couldn't go to work uh, for like the last four months of the pregnancy. So all of a sudden we were, you know, about to be a family of four living on one teacher salary. And it just like the numbers weren't working out in our favor. So I needed a, like an extra job that could generate some money. I was trying to like, I was applying to be a waiter and shit like that. But they, each time I go on an interview, they'd be like, nah, we can't hire you because you got a full-time job. You're already like working when we need you to be working here. So that didn't work out. I'm just like Googling work from home jobs. 
at home and writer was like one of the ones on the list. And I had, I, I didn't, I didn't know any writers. I didn't like have any experience in that industry. So I didn't know, I didn't know that this was like another version of teaching where everybody sort of overworked and underpaid. I just read a book. I got, I, I got a book that said six figure freelancing or something along those lines. And I was like, oh shit, people are making like eight, $9,000 a month freelancing. Like I should be able to make $500. I guess I'll try that. And so I just started writing for different places. And then yeah, that shit, you know, after two, three years started to pick up speed. And then I met Bill Simmons and then that shit really took off. How much did you write beforehand, before all of this? Were you writing every day just for fun? No, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't like writing then. I still don't like writing now. Like, it's not a thing I like grew up like, oh, I, I, I dream of being a writer and like wearing a black turtleneck and drinking coffee or whatever. Like, I was not a thing I was thinking about. Uh, it was just a thing that was presented to me as a way to make a few dollars. So I did that. And, you know, I just sort of kept like backing my way into these opportunities and sort of seeing what happens. For the average person, their association with writing is something along the lines of a memory of pulling an all-nighter either in high school or college to complete yeah. a 15 <laughs> or 20 page paper. What, yeah. what sort of anxiety do you have on a day-to-day basis when you have something do because you just said you don't necessarily enjoy writing you're just really fucking good at it yeah i don't know that i'm really good at it but what here's what i'm really good at i'm really good at not missing deadlines and that that is like a thing that editors appreciate like they know if they send me a thing it's going to be turned in the day before it's due whatever like that's the part that that i'm good at i don't i don't have too too much anxiety whenever i'm like writing a thing when i'm writing it it's the greatest thing that's ever been written. And I'm like, oh, this is going to, everybody's going to love this shit. But then as soon as I turn it in, I'm like, oh my God, I just ruined my whole career. Like nobody's, everybody's going to hate this. This is going to be awful. So it's, you know, it's doing like that. And then you see like, if, if it does well, then you are like, oh, I knew it was going to do well. If it does poorly, then I knew it was going to do poorly. It's like when you like, if I play pickup basketball before I shoot, I'm, uh, this is going in, guaranteed this is going in. And then as soon as I let it go, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. I cross my fingers. I hope it goes in. If it goes in, great. If it doesn't, I knew it wasn't going to go in it. You know, it's like that sort of situation. So do you ever, do you ever get writer's block? I do. I think everybody who writes get writer's block. Everybody who creates, I think you two working on this podcast, I'm sure there have been some days where you're just like, I just don't, I don't know what we're supposed to talk about. At this point, like that's, to put it, that's to part put of it, the, To put it mildly, I'd yeah. say that's every three days for JJ. You know, I got other shit going on, Tommy, all right? I'm trying <laughs> to be a dad here. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the, the process. But for me, I know anytime I have writer's block, it is because I have not done the, the necessary research to write about the thing that I want to write about. Like if I want to write about a movie, I need to, number one, I need to watch the movie. If I haven't done that part, I can't write about it. I need to also like read a bunch of interviews. I need to like watch other movies that these same people were in. Like there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. And if I don't do the prep work, then I have writer's block. I wanted, I want to go back to something you were just talking about. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you sure. have, do you, and you, you sound like you suffer from that. I, yeah, I, I think like everybody at some level experiences that, especially when you're trying a new thing. You, you were play, you're a professional basketball player and you're like, I'm going to do a podcast. There was probably a period in there where you were like, I, I, I don't know if I could do this. And like, that's just the way it goes. And then, then you start doing it and you realize, oh, like the other people doing this are like kind of idiots as well. We're all idiots together, just sort of figuring this out. It's the same thing with writing. It's the same thing with, I don't know. I still am not certain what Tommy's job is, but I <laughs> assume he has like felt that same sort of thing. Everyone and, on Twitter wants to know what Tommy's job, like yeah. what, <laughs> he gets that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. <laughs> I feel like I have imposter syndrome with basketball even. I'm, I'm not even just saying that. Like it's, it's yeah. this deep seated fear that we're going to be discovered as a fraud. And like, especially this late in my career, I'm just kind of like, why the fuck are these guys still paying me? Like, am I still good? I don't know. It goes, I have that thought once a week for sure. I think the, the, like, that's the difference between somebody who's going to be good at a thing and somebody who's going to be bad at a thing though. Is like, everybody feels that, but are you going to keep going? If you're going to keep going, then it's usually going to work out pretty good. Do you, this is a serious question. I don't want to get into politics, but I just thought of this because you, you said that everybody, I don't think Trump has imposter syndrome. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Fuck this. that guy. No, I, I really. No, I really mean that. Like, I think he. There's a. Yeah. There's a certain awareness, self awareness that he lacks. There's actually a. There's another term for this where 
someone, because they know a little bit about something, they think they're sort of an expert at it. And he's mm-hmm. like that about everything. Yeah, he's an he's yeah. an idiot of the highest. It's order. called narcissistic personality disorder. There's a term for it. There that sounds right. That's that sounds it, right to that's me. That's what it is. Are you ever worried uh, when you do your anti-Trump rant rants? Are you ever worried about <laughs> losing losing fans, or or do you feel like you've carved out this niche where like your followers and your readers and your fans are gonna just like are there for that. Not necessarily for the anti-Trump rant, but they're right. there for everything that comes with the Shea Serrano experience. Yeah, I don't worry too much about that because if you start, if you get on Twitter and you're like, fuck Trump, fuck this, fuck that, whatever, I hate this guy. The people who are going to respond negatively to that are usually people who are aligned with Trump. And like, I don't want to be around those people anyway. So, you know what I'm saying? It's or like bots. the same as, yeah, yeah, or bots. Two, those two. Get the get those get them uh, away from me. So I don't worry too too much about it because yeah, every time I do that, like you can you can like see on there you lose a couple hundred followers or whatever. But that's like I, I like I don't want those people around anyway, so it doesn't bother me at all. JJ, you've been talking about him a lot recently. You had the the tweet about the Clorox thing was went was everywhere. Oh, uh, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Um, the press yeah. conference, the press conference. Sometimes after the kids go to bed and I have a couple glasses of wine, I decided, <laughs> I, I decided, I decided I'm going to go on Twitter and just troll people. But it, no, it was, it was the night of the NFL draft. And like my Twitter feed, like I had just watched the press conference and then my Twitter feed is like all talk about, you know, the Bengals or what are the Patriots going to do or what this and that. And it's, I'm just like, man, our president just said we should ingest home cleaning detergent, yeah. like Lysol. I mean, it's it's wild. Anyway, but people people care more. I, mean, I shouldn't say more, but people care a lot about both of your opinions on this. I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen with politics now is that they're not people aren't necessarily going to traditional channels to sort of get their news and get their information, and so like both of your voices do matter as much as it might be annoying sometimes to like wade into the muck. I think like uh, if you have like a, a whatever, a, a little bit of a following on the internet, you either, you have to make a decision. Are you going to talk about this or are you not going to talk about this? And for me being like one of the very few Mexicans with a, with a little bit of a platform, like there's, t- to me, there was no way I couldn't speak up about a bunch of this stuff. It just, I mean, it, it, some of it is just so blatantly racist that it's like, how could you possibly ignore this is how it feels to me. It is tough at times to not ignore it, but at the same time, it has just become like so redundant and such a broken record. Just mm-hmm. the the general sort of incompetence and stupidity and bumbling of words and just on a day-to-day basis. And then when you start getting into some of the stuff you're talking about, the bigotry and the racism, it's 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 almost hard to actually have any impactful sort of means because everybody else is already saying the same shit. Like this guy's a fucking idiot. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like, I'm trying to figure out like, how can you actually move beyond just calling someone out for being an idiot? Cause everybody does that all the time, not just with Trump, but everywhere on the internet, that's all that anybody does. So Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you move beyond that and figure out a way to, to be super impactful? And I don't know the answer that Mr. Mr. Politician, Tommy may have something there. So you got to pick your battles. I think the key is not, for either of you to necessarily criticize Trump for like one-off dumb things that he says, because like to your point, he does that all day, every day. It's to figure out how to leverage the audiences you have to actually do things to get him out. Because that's yeah. where that's where that's where that's where it's important. It's like it's very easy to just be like, yeah, this guy's an idiot, but it's it's a little harder, but also a lot more important to be like, well, you know, not just him, but the people that have sort of like allowed him to get to this place. A lot of them are up for, for election on November 4th. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Shay's in the state of Texas. State of Texas is a, some people think potentially a swing state. I don't know if that's true, but it's a possibility. Yeah. And so so. that, that's where, (laughs) that's where it's more important is for Shay to affect people specifically in Texas than to try to affect like some, some kid in LA who, you know, already agrees with him. Jay, how did the FOH army start? That was a total accident, much much the way that 
a large portion of my career has been. What happened was I was at, uh, I had just started working full-time at ESPN. This was July of 2015. So that I start that contract, July of 2015, October of 2015, Grandland shuts down. And the contract that I signed was for a year. So I had like an eight month period where ESPN was like, hey, do you want to either A, we'll keep paying you every two weeks so you don't have to write anything if you don't want to, but also you can't write other places. Or B, we can like let you out of your contract and you can go work somewhere else right now. And I was like, I think I'll take the eight months of like paychecks. That sounds pretty good to me. So I did that and I thought that was a good idea. But then like after a month of not having any work to do, I started to get a little, you know, I want to do something. So me and uh, me and uh, Arturo, the illustrator who works on all my stuff, we talked about starting this newsletter uh, just to like keep us sharp because we were going to be doing a book soon and whatever. So I started the newsletter. We put that, I, I, I like post a link on Twitter, just expecting it to not do much. And then like in a week or so, we had maybe 30,000 subscribers or something. It became like a thing that the, the program we were using for, it wasn't free anymore. It was like a couple hundred dollars a month to like send this newsletter out. So people kept trying to like send us money. Hey, can we send you a dollar, $3, $5, whatever to help pay for this? But I already had my checks coming from ESPN. So I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Don't worry about it. After a few weeks, Arturo and I decided, hey, let's put a donation thing in here and like tell people they could pay if they want. And we're just going to donate the money. Um, we didn't tell anybody ahead of time. So we did that. The one came out, we got a few thousand dollars people sent in and we gave it to this women's shelter in Dallas that Arturo had grown up in. He spent some time in as a kid. And uh, we were like, hey, surprise, look, we did this. Ha ha ha, you dummies. And everybody like made a big, big fuss about it. And then like a few weeks later, we did it again. And this time we donated it to another place. And after we did it twice, then it was like a thing people were expecting us to do every so often. And then it, it just has, you know, started out at a few thousand dollars before. And then now if we do it, like we just did one when all this coronavirus shit started for the food bank. And like in a few hours, we raised a hundred thousand dollars, just like straight cash. Like it's, it's fucking crazy. Tommy's been explaining this to me. What's the thing you do where you um, Venmo people uh, for, for their bills? <laughs> yeah. They, they send you their bills and then you Venmo them the money to pay their bills. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think the first time we did that was a couple of years. I mean, uh, like a year and a half ago, we just moved to San Antonio. We were living in an apartment and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but somebody sent me a thing. I was tweeting about living in an apartment and they were like, they responded with something about, oh, I'm trying to move, but they hit us with some charges. And I knew exactly what they were talking about because they hit us with those same charges. And I was like, oh, like I have some money in my Venmo right now, just like some extra couple hundred bucks. You can have it if you want it. And I sent it to them and then it just became became a thing. So we're doing that every so every so often, just like, you know, throw out a, a thousand, a couple thousand bucks or whatever. Let's shift gears a little bit and and talk a little bit about the NBA. Um from uh <laughs> from, from, no from a what a pivot what a pivot I know pivot it's a hell of a pivot uh we can edit we can edit any pivot out by the way just just remember that that was great I wanted I want to ask you about your sort of perspective as a fan obviously we all we all want sports back but what in your sort of ideal world what does an NBA return look like this summer I don't know if it can come back this summer Honestly, I think the worst thing that could possibly happen is we like rush it back and everybody's real excited and, and you guys are playing in like a, an, in a dome in Disneyland and then somebody gets sick and then somebody gets really sick and then everybody just sort of feels like, why did we do that? Why did we, why did we need this? You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm older now. I'm 38 at this point. I have some kids in the other room. I've got like older parents, like I feel I feel less like I identify less with the players than I do with like the people around the players now. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I don't I don't I don't see a way that it can that it can come back without there being like a vaccine for real. Which is disconcerting if you think about us starting the season either in the fall next season, either in the fall or yeah. or around Christmas. I mean, we're we're gonna be in the same boat and it's you know potentially gonna be sort of second wave or or flu season. I saw something today on Twitter where these scientists were like, I, th you know, I think it would be a really good idea if these guys played outside. That was sort mm -hmm. of the idea. And I'm thinking to myself, right. they've picked fucking Orlando, Houston, <laughs> and Las Vegas as like three potential spots. I can't I'm imagine getting... playing basketball, like a real NBA, not going out to shoot for 15 minutes. I mean, a real NBA game. Yeah, outside in those three cities in July. Wait, 
JJ, yeah, no did you thanks. ever play? Did you ever play on one of those like aircraft carriers or anything in college? No. Have you ever played like a real game outside? Like AAU stuff, but not, not like a the, high level. Game. No, not college or or uh, NBA. What do you think about the outside? I actually like that idea a lot. I like that idea if we're talking about a fucking video game, but not like a real, not in real life. Like an MB, like an NBA street. You can make your player dive for a loose ball on the pavement, but I don't want to. I don't want to see. Right, I don't want to this. see Dejounte Murray diving what, what, for a loose ball. Listen on to grapple. this. I got. I got an idea for both of you. Okay. JJ and I have talked about this a lot because, like, they got to make this unique if they're going to do it. If there's going to be no fans, if everything about this is going to be weird, you can't just play these things in a normal way. I always thought that they should make the new the end of this NBA season like March Madness and put everybody in it, make it single elimination. That idea was shot down by every basketball person we've had on the show, <laughs> but including me. But yeah. here's my outdoor idea: take Venice Beach, take those courts. Hypothetically, it doesn't have to be that, but take that for this example. Put an actual court, a wooden court, on the thing. Maybe put a, a tent over it or something like that. It doesn't rain very much in LA, but in case it does, and play it outdoors at Venice Beach with a court. So it's That's not a terrible an idea. It's That's court. terrible. Why? That court is that court is right next to the beach. Have you ever had sand on the hardwood floor? It's yeah, that, but you could like that's put that a game block, you play where you slide the thing. There. No, no, no. You the wind. You're like the wind. Oh, we could just. We could put some walls up and we're like, we're not outside anymore. The wind is one of the elements that's part of this. Put some walls up and then t- and then tent the roof. Yeah, exactly. And then we're back inside. You're telling no me thanks, the, NBA finals, the NBA finals at Venice Beach would not be interesting in no. some capacity? White men can't jump in as Venice Beach. Great. Awesome. But like the, the Raptors Sixer series? No, thanks. I don't, I don't want to see that uh, outside. I like it. Do you guys think, let's say, let's say, let's say we come back. And let's say we play like five games of a regular season. Should those stats actually count? Yeah, for sure. Really? Just yeah. Should they not? Why would they not? I don't know. I don't know. Like I, every, feel like, every, I feel every, like it's almost like preseason. I feel like it's almost like preseason. We've been well, off Jay, so long Jay, with, Jay, with, Jay, no, Jay, with Jay, nothing. JJ stressed <laughs> because he's made the playoffs every year of his career. Yeah, and there's a possibility. This is people. People keep bringing this up. This is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's an asterisk because I think you guys would have made the playoffs. Yeah, based this, off this, of the schedule, this, you would have made the playoffs if if the season had continued as normal. Now, if it's five games, I think it's probably a lot more of a challenge. So does it count? Yeah, this this is the, this is the same as like see I'm I'm doing the reverse argument for the Spurs because they have made the the playoffs for whatever twenty plus years in a row, and this was probably going to be the first year they didn't, and then the season got shut down, and I was like the streak is still alive, we're still good, so you're still good, JJ. Don't worry, don't worry about this season. You're fine. Nobody's going to hold this against you. You're good. You're good. The the scenario I've heard. Let's 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 talk about this scenario. The top six teams are basically locked. Those seeds are locked. Okay. And they basically maybe scrimmage. I haven't figured this part out yet. There's a lot of lot of details missing from this, what I've heard. But they, they either like scrimmage or they play games that don't mean anything. And then seeds like 7 through 11 or 7 through 12 in both conferences play for seeds 7 and 8. And then teams 13 through 15 just don't show up. They don't, they don't have to do anything. <laughs> You're so like laughing. The, war, the warriors, this is what the I've warriors heard. are. Yeah. The, the like the golden Timber state warriors yeah. are like, they're done. They're just so, worried about the draft. So who, and are, who are those teams? The Knicks, the warriors, the ones that don't make it, the yeah. Suns. Wait, was it 13 to 15? They don't yeah, make I it. So I think it's Suns, T-Wolves. Sun, yeah. And Suns, warriors. Timberwolves, Warriors, Pistons, Hawks, Cavaliers. They don't have to come. So, that's Y'all fine. Good. San, That's- San Antonio's still in. I'm good. As long as San Antonio's still in. You like that plan? We don't need 13 to 15. We don't need the, the Hawks and the Cavs playing these games. I think everybody should. I think if we're going to play like any regular season, I think everybody should have to play a regular season. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't like the idea of telling three teams in each conference just stay home. But by the way, too, this is the problem with that plan. So in the Western Conference, where like seeds nine through 12, are within three and a half ish games of Memphis, three, three and a half games of Memphis. The teams in the East, I think the closest one is like six games back. Yeah, between eight and nine. Orlando has it's, 30 wins. The Wizards have 24. 
So that's not exactly fair to Brooklyn and Orlando that you're going to play for those seeds. And even Dallas at the seventh seed, that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to me. I think we should just award San Antonio the championship this year. And like, let's just wait for next year. That's my vote. How much say do the players have in this, if any, besides the fact that you're playing? In terms of like what what the like what the process yeah. is for what these what happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say we have we have a, a, a fair amount of say given the health concern, right? I, I said this on last week's mailbag podcast, but for anyone, commissioner, front offices, coaches, players, for anyone to like say we're going to play games, we are accepting a level of risk to exposure. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a health concern, not just for us, but for all the people around us, whoever that may be. So, you know, I think we act, we absolutely are a part of the conversation and, um, you know, there's this, there's this committee of guys who are, who are trying to figure out return to play for players. There's a committee with the GMs that are trying to figure out, I know the league has their own little thing going on. It's, um, it's unprecedented though. Like it's unprecedented. Shay, I know, I know you, you make a great point with regards to help health. I, I, if there's a way we can safely play, like we have to play, we have to play for yeah. so many reasons. Yeah. If it could be done safely, then sure. Go for it. I, I always would. I'm just a little bit leery of making players go. JJ, I have two questions that don't relate to any of this. Can I yeah, ask yeah. them before I forget? Yeah. yeah. Uh, n- number one, did you get a full arm tattoo all at once? Like in an off season? Cause I remember it was like, there was nothing. And then I was like, is that fucking Birdman? What's going on here? What's happening? <laughs> I actually got it done during the season. So all that- at once? No, four sessions. Okay. So I got like the top part done, but not filled in. And then uh-huh. I got like everything else outlined. And then I got everything else filled in. And then the last session, the fourth session, I got everything like basically touched up. But like every session was four and a half or five hours. I think it was 18 total hours. That's crazy. Okay. My second question. When you shoot yeah, and the ball is on the way, do you watch the ball or do you look at the rim? I look in the general direction of the rim. I, I've never been a ball watcher. No? No. Okay. And I don't look, like a lot of people say like, look at the front of the rim or the back of the rim. I just look in the general direction of the rim. You're just like... <laughs> it's like just muscle memory. At the back bar. Okay. It's just muscle okay. memory. <laughs> are you good? I mean, are you like a decent pickup player? <laughs> if Tommy Alter asked me if I'm good, I could say yes, I'm pretty good. If JJ Redick asked me if I'm good, no, I'm not close to good. You know what, I, what I'm good at? I can a set shot if we're just standing still. If I'm just shooting free throws by myself in the gym, I can shoot a decent amount. But if I have to move, yeah. like if I have to run or if there's a defender, I'm shooting 6% from the field easily. So this is the this is the problem that I think people maybe just like don't understand cuz people ask me all the time for like shooting tips and and I I I can give you tips and everything, but like you know, the average NBA player is shooting hundreds of shots every day for years. And I don't know that the average person is willing or has time to go to that extreme. So it's really hard. I, I, like without a, just a ton of repetitions, you can't become like a competent shooter. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah, it's really hard. Dude, dude, we were, when we moved to San Antonio, we were living in an apartment complex and there was like a one month period where we were staying in one before we moved to our house. And the complex was right next to UTSA, which is a, one of the colleges here in San Antonio. And so the, the apartment complex was filled mostly with college kids and they had an indoor basketball court. It was like a half court, like where you'd find a 24 hour fitness or something. And prior to then, whenever I'd played, it was like against my dad friends or like all through when I was teaching middle school and I was coaching the like seventh grade team, I'm playing against seventh graders. So I was really fucking good against seventh graders. But then I go and I play at this, at this like indoor court with like college age kids, first of all, who are like, they're made of rubber and they just bounce everywhere. I couldn't do anything with them. But one day a kid came in who played at Sam Houston state university, which is like a small school in Texas. And he, he was like a point guard. They're like, and I don't even think he was a starting point guard, the backup point guard, but he came and he played and he was just fucking 10 levels better than everybody. Else. Like he wasn't even trying and nobody could guard him. The, the, the like difference between those two levels from like just playing in high school and college is fucking unreal. I've never even thought about trying to get on the court with, with a WNBA player or, or an NBA player, like to hell with that. I I'm not confident enough. I'm not, I don't want to get out there and just be beat up for fucking 30 minutes. When I was in college, I dated this girl. Similar story. I dated this girl 
she was a Duke student and she was from Minneapolis. And so the two summers we were dating, I went up to Minneapolis and, uh, you know, hung out with her family for like five or six days. And I would go train at this local sports club. So one day, and her little brother would come and he'd rebound for me. So I go get my shots up. And one day this kid, my age comes in and he starts talking shit. And he's like, he's like, I, I, he, I can't remember where he played, but it was some D3 school. He's like, ah, you know, I play at such and such uh, school. He's like, I know you can shoot spot threes, but can you take it to the hole or something like that? <laughs> so he's like, let's play one-on-one. And, okay. and I was like, oh man, I'm going to fucking destroy this guy. And I did. I, I beat him 11-0. Like it wasn't even close. And I made it a point that every shot had to be like, I was some combo move passed him for a layup. Like I was just like, yeah. this fucking guy cannot guard me. Like <laughs> doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> it's yeah, that sucks. I feel bad for that kid. I don't like you right now. You're like the villain in that story. I just want I just want that's you to know. A, that's, like a, you the, think, that's the <laughs> that's the opposite of imposter syndrome. Yeah, you, you you're telling that story like you're the hero, but you're not the hero <laughs> in that story, JJ. I'm sorry. <laughs> just want to keep things realistic. Shay, I have a basketball and other things question for you. All right, hit me. New York Times, number one bestseller, like your other two books. Shouts out to that. There is a uh, passage in the book. I don't remember what page, but I looked it up last <laughs> night. Where, I already know. Where I already you, know. It's where page 37. Ta- it's page where 37. You, where, you talk, <laughs> where you start talking about NBA players' penises. Okay. And JJ's name comes up. Can you explain mm-hmm. the context of this passage and how this whole process came to be? Uh, yeah. So there was this movie that was, that came out like in the, I think like eighties, maybe early nineties was called Frankenhooker. And it was about a guy who his girlfriend gets run over by a lawnmower and like chopped into pieces. And he basically builds a new one using, he saves her head, but then he gets like body parts from sex workers. And he like, gives them some drugs. They, they all die and they explode when they die. It's like, a, it's like a crazy B movie, but he take he basically makes like a Frankenstein version of his girlfriend, but it's the movie's called Frankenhooker. So for the book, I was like, Oh, we should do like a Franken player where we're going to build our perfect basketball player. And I'm going to get whatever I'm going to give him like Timmy's bank shot and like Steph Curry's off the dribble pull up or whatever. And like, as I was making the list, it was just getting weirder and weirder. And then one of the sections was like, well, if, we, if I'm building like a whole human man, he needs to have a penis. And then, so I was like going through like whose penis you would want in this situation. And it was like, well, Chamberlain has like a pretty historic penis because he had sex with a, allegedly with, you know, 20,000 women or whatever the number was. And JJ's name came up. Cause it was like, I was just trying to think of who probably no, no, has no. a- <laughs> my, my name didn't come up. My name made it in the book. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's was, what I'm saying. Like, it was me and Serge Ibaka. Yeah, I was like, between him and Serge Ibaka, and I was like, who are like really handsome basketball players? They probably have, I don't know, an accompanying handsome penis. I don't know. And I needed to pick one. So that's how it came up. I, listen, whenever I write a thing, I just assume nobody is ever going to read the thing that I'm writing because it makes me, it makes me feel a little bit better or like calm about it. And then I don't have to worry about like trying to write it for another person. I did, I had never thought that like anybody in the NBA would ever open this book or see it. And then, yeah, I saw a tweet. I was like, oh shit. Like he saw it. And like, I got some other, some, some other players tweeted it as well, but that was the one where I was like, oh, I was really laughing to myself. The exact same, that was like the first thing I thought about as well. When president Obama was talking about the book, he like included it on his favorite books list. And I was like, oh shit, he read the like penis joke in this book. This is unbelievable. Um, that's all. That's what it was. Just like a silly thing. It's incredibly high praise. Yeah, it's you the highest. S- it's yeah. the highest compliment I could think to give. You and Serge Ibaka, the only two acting guys. <laughs> Serge is great. All right, <laughs> now, now it's time for a pivot. Let's pivot. I think we got to do the rom coms. We got to get into it. So how we've been doing this, Shay, is somebody will go first, and we'll just go around the horn. And the third person gets to sort of name two. So we'll go, you know, one, two, three, sort of th- sort of deal. So we get to, to five each. I have a question before we get started, which I'm going to throw to Shay as the, as the foremost expert in this trio and maybe on the internet of this topic. Very briefly, how do you define a rom-com? Oh, so we're talking about rom-coms. Yeah. All right. So for, for, for a movie to be a, a rom-com, this is a conversation I had with Amanda Dobbins, an editor at The Ringer. We like, this is like a thing that we talk about. Um, but we like came up with like a sort of generic list. Uh, number one, there has to be a protagonist who 
whether they know it or not, needs to find love. Like that's one of the, that's one of the things. There has to be a scene where the protagonist meets the potential love interest and it can be like in a kooky or zany way. It doesn't have to be. Uh, there has to be a scene where after the two realize that they've fallen for each other, something happens that like forces them apart. You always have to have like the breakup in there. Uh, there has to be a scene where, where one of the people involved in the relationship has like this big gesture, the like big romantic gesture that they do. And that's, that's probably like the main four things you need to, you need to hit. Uh, so, so a movie like Bridesmaids, for example, which has aspects of comedy and also has aspects of, of like a romantic relationship. That's not necessarily a rom-com because we don't hit enough of those check marks. Um, Do you feel like in ensemble comedies that have these elements, like, does it have to be two people? Like if there's the, the movie I was just, I watched a couple of weeks ago, he's just not that into you. has like 10 different couples and all their different stuff that they go through. Is that a rom-com technically or no? Yeah, that, that, that one's a rom-com. That's a, that's a good one. So we're doing rom-coms. Like these are the last, the only five rom-coms we're going to watch for the rest of our lives or whatever. You're trapped on a desert Island in quarantine. There's okay. no Wi-Fi, but there's, there's, a, there's electricity and a DVD player. Yeah. And you've got to bring these five DVDs. You get, you get five rom-coms. That's it. Okay. And if, and you can't, if he picks one, you can't pick it. All right. I'm good. Who gets to go first? JJ starts. I'll start. I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous about maybe one of these four Shay's rules, but I'll start with uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. That's a that's a crazy pick for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's your first round. That's yes. your first round. Yes, for sure, for okay. sure. So and you it, want to take, take that one off the table Expl- immediately? Explain. Okay, so first of all, it's it's a good it's a good story. It's a good movie. It's got some funny parts, but the two things that I really love about the mu- movie, it's it's an ode to New York City. And it's and it's an ode to to indie music. Like the playlist on that is just insanely great. So I just it's a it's a movie I could watch over and over again, and it would it would remind me of New York, and and it would be just something I could almost like put on and listen to as like my music in the background on this island. So that's my number one. Yeah, pick. that's one of those movies that you watch it and you either like love it intensely or you're never going to watch it again. And so you fall into that first. It's it's like a really good like time capsule movie because you turn it on and you're like, w- w- that movie came out like somewhere around 2009, 2010. Whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Somewhere around there, yeah. maybe eight, nine, 10. Yeah. But it's like Michael Sarah, uh, Kat Denning, like those, these two yeah. actors, you're like, oh, this is like from this time period. I, yeah. I get it. I gotta, That's not a bad I got to yeah. be honest with you. I've watched probably 55 rom-coms in the last month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. Not only have I not seen that movie, I don't think it's like, I've barely heard of it. It's so never glad, been recommended I'm, to you. I'm, gl- I'm until glad now. you picked it as the first pick because <laughs> just all right. So just just so so the, we're all we're all three on a boat. The boat starts going down, and JJ's yes. like, "Oh, that's fuck. number one." <laughs> Nick and Nora, I need my Nick and Nora DVD. I will say this, Shay. We did a okay. we did we did one of these we did one of these uh, a month or two back. TV characters we'd want to be stuck with, and Paulie Walnuts was my first pick, and I got a huge. Oh ama- hell no! I got a huge amount of shit for this. I still do. You I should. still do get shit for this. I think Nick and Nora is the Paulie Walnuts of this rap. <laughs> right. Shay, you're up. All right, let me let me pick a let me pick a solid a solid one, unquestionable. I think this is probably the greatest rom com of all time. It's the greatest rom com actress of all time. Uh, one of the all-time great performances, one of the all-time great singing moments. My my movie that I want to watch on my desert island, my best friend's wedding. No doubt about it. I love I love this movie. I love that it doesn't like follow all of the traditional beats. Like Julia Roberts does not end up with the guy at the end. It's like oh, that's such a heartbreaking scene when she's like chasing after the guy, and the guy's chasing after Cameron Diaz, and she's on the phone and. She's giving the recap and her friend asks her like, who's chasing you? And she realizes nobody. And like, this is the one, this is, this should have been your, the one you have to have JJ. Nick and Nora is outrageous. I just, I just watched this last night. I just watched my best wedding last night. For the first time? For the first time. It's, it's incredible, Good right? Pick. Good pick. When you, when they're on the boat and they're going on the bridge and they're talking about the moment passing you by as the moment is passing them by. I think is like that's as good of a scene as you could ever have in a rom com, right there. Just fuck. And it has two of the goats because you have Julia and Cameron in the same movie. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean that's not how goats work. Like there's one goat. You could have multiple. But... You could have multiple. You could have multiple goats. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
<laughs> My one question with that movie is, is how are they 28? Julie Roberts is timeless. She could do a movie right now and she'll be 28 and I'd be like, all right, I'm in. No, but where they are in their life, she's like the chief like food critic for like the New York Times or whatever the newspaper is. Like the 28-year-old is going to be... Like the timing was a little off. She's, she's, she's precocious, talented. man. She's, she's precocious. Yeah. 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 I, I like, like I like the pick. I, I I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And and oh, you gotta and watch because it. I have young children, I don't get to watch as many rom coms in a three week period as Tommy has. So I, I actually watched I actually watched Notting Hill last night and then Ooh, good one. And, and then I and then I watched Groundhog Day last week. You watched Notting Hill last night and your first pick was Nick and Nora. Notting Hill is not in my top five. I don't want to oh ruin Notting God. Hill right. because Tom, I know, I know Tommy's going to pick it. I know he's going to pick it. This is a classic Tommy move. All right. I'm a, my, my, <laughs> my first pick is not going to be Notting Hill. My first pick is going to be what I thought was the, your first pick was going to be because I thought it was the consensus best rom-com ever made, which is When Harry Met Sally. That's a great one. That's, it's a, just that's like, a, it, and it's a. I was a. I was a. I wanted to be critical. I wanted to be a hater. Did it all these different things. Never seen it. First time I saw it. It's like a perfect movie. It's great. It's, Nora, Nora Ephron, for for like all intents and purposes, Nora Ephron created the rom com genre with that movie. It's just untouchable. That was that was on my list of like ones that I have to have yeah, as well. I'm amazed I, I, I was able to keep it. Yeah, um, you, you you got you got a good one. All right, right n- there. Number two, a little bit of a curveball. Something about Mary. Yeah, that's a super curveball. I don't know that that counts. I think that's a, that's a comedy more than a rom com. Why? I just, it has I just all, want to throw that but out. it has all of your qualities. Like what? Does it doesn't it- though. It's just too silly. I think if you have like a scene where someone puts semen in their hair. No more romantic part. It's just a comedy now. That's what that is. But there, I are, mean, you you could take it. You could take it. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. You take it. Have a have a great time. But I'm, but like if, if you invite someone over and you're like, hey, you want to watch a rom com with me? Nobody's expecting you to turn on. There's something about Mary. Curveball. Not a single person. Curveball. Okay. Yeah. 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 Show you number two. So Tommy, you mentioned uh, when Harry met Sally. I think there are there are four like four movies that represent like different shifts in the rom-com genre. When Harry Met Sally is the first one, that's like the invention of it. My Best Friend's Wedding is like the, the second shift that's like the, the perfect version of it. Uh, and then this next movie I'm gonna pick was like the, the we're adding a new section to it. This came out mid to, I mean, early 2000s. Diane Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Something's Gotta Give. I love Diane Keaton. She gives maybe the best performance in a rom-com um, of all time in this movie, just, lights out, picture perfect in every way. She's just Diane Keatoning her way through the movie. Everybody's falling in love with her. She can't believe that it's happening. It's wonderful. Give me that one. Give me that one. That's the movie with Keanu Reeves, right? He's the doctor. Yes, that's the movie with okay. Keanu Reeves. More importantly though, that's the movie with Diane Keaton. Well, so Diane Keaton's, wanna- <laughs> yeah. She, she, now she is a goat. She is a goat. Her and Meryl she Streep. Is. I've said this for years, but See, my celebrity, my celebrity crush, my celebrity crush for- for the, the for the large part of my life was was a young Meryl Streep, Fair. Deer Hunter, like that circa Deer Hunter. You know, she's yeah, M- she's Meryl timeless. Streep, she's timeless. I, I, if you're putting together like the list of the greatest actors of all time, she she's in she's in like the top three. You you yeah. either have her one, two, or three. She can't have any other spot besides one of those. Three. All right, I got two here. All right, I'm gonna go crazy. I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for this. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Like most 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 of the ones that I like are like all between like 2000 and 2010 because okay, that's, that's when I watched a lot of these rom-coms just and go. I've watched you're, other ones. You're couching it. Just go, just go. You got two. <laughs> this was actually post 2010, but crazy, stupid love. All right. Big Gosling guy. His character. Gosling's great. His character in that movie is, is just epic. And then um, I don't even know if this is a rom-com, but I'm going to, th- I'm going to say that it is the princess bride. No, that's not a rom-com. What's wrong with y'all? You can't just say a movie as a rom-com. You know what I think is a rom-com? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just just delightful little rom-com. Wait. I'm vetoing that. I'm vetoing that one. The Princess Wait. Bride is not a rom-com? Princess Bride. No. It's a fairy tale movie. There's a difference. There's a difference. X. Wait, X. Is, let me ask you a question. Is American Psycho a rom-com? Jesus Christ. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm certain like in Tommy Alter world, that's, that's what romance looks like maybe. But not for the rest of us, Tommy. Not the rest right. of us are not JJ, like having sex in J- front of a mirror, JJ, pointing at ourselves. JJ, you got to do another one. Shay killed it. He's a lot. Shay's the arbiter Fuck of this stuff, life. so he's allowed to kill it. Right. X. I'm gonna go with a very safe pick here. 
All right. I'm going to go with Hitch. Okay. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. Great film. It's a delightful, delightful film. It's a movie you could watch over and over again. Put Will Smith in any movie. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, for sure. One, one, of my, one of my favorites. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go early 90s. I, I feel like I could leave this one out there, but I'm just going to grab it just to be safe. Give me Boomerang. Give me some Eddie Ooh, Murphy. Interesting. I want to I I Boomerang pick. An underappreciated rom-com. One of, the, one of the best. Give me Boomerang. On my desert island, deserted how, island. How many, how many uh, other rom-coms has Eddie Murphy been in? Oof. I don't know if you, I don't think you count Coming to America as a rom-com. That's you're, what, you're that's what I was going to ask about. I was going to ask if Coming to America. That was the other one I had to. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Tommy, you're probably like, oh, Beverly Hills Cop, great <laughs> rom-com. Like, no. I was going to ask about, I was going to ask about Nutty Professor. <laughs> Nutty Professor, yeah. yeah. Nutty, Nutty Professor. That's more, that's more comedy. You maybe slide that one in there. I think that I think this weird like oh this has all the elements of Shay's list and it's funny but it's too funny so it can't be a rom com needs to be explored because that's complete it's completely arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> Just because okay. it's a funny movie it can't be a rom com. It can't be too funny is the thing. Boomerang is like, a, a, a good a, choice. Boomerang is that an was early Hallie too right? Yeah she she pops up in there. When's the last time you've seen Bullworth? It's probably been a couple of years. Halle Berry and Bullworth is probably my favorite performance in any movie ever. That's a that's a take right there. Yeah. That's a take. All that's right, right I, up there with your Paulie Walnuts am, take. Am I up? <laughs> okay. I can't believe this is still here. This is sort of an obvious one uh, for my third pick, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman is another yeah. one. Just great, great, great movie. It completely lives up to what people write about it. The hype, da-da-da. Julia, if we were going to do a singular goat to me, my declaration after watching all of these things, Julia is yeah. far and away the goat. She runs away with it. She, she, she's too good. That's the only reason that Pretty Woman works is because of Julia Roberts. Good. He's good too. He's perfect in that. The two he's of them okay. Be- he's okay, but he's like, he's not Julia Roberts. Like Julia Roberts is putting on a show yes. in that movie with just yes. that big old... Her smile that comes out to here, and just that the laugh that she has. Like, she's the she's the all time greatest in rom coms. Yeah. There's no there's- Shay. Where does Jennifer Aniston rank as a rom com actress? Jennifer Aniston is like a solid dark horse pick that a lot of people don't realize, like how strong her resume is. What's What's really good about Jennifer Aniston is she has figured out a way to. She's like hit all of the different versions of the of the rom-coms because she can do like the 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 modern version, she could do the the like traditional version. She she hits all of the the pieces here. I'm going to pull up a um a, a thing. Okay, so she's been in She's the One. Like this is these are traditional rom-coms. She's the One, Picture Perfect, The Object of My Affection. She's done the the more modern version, probably better than anybody else with The Switch that she did with Jason Bateman, uh The Breakup that she did with Vince Vaughn and just go with it that she did with Adam Sandler. Like she can, she, she like traversed this, this ravine where there was like a lot of rom-coms and then none. And then a few more popped up later on. She's like a solid, solid dark horse pick for this conversation. She can never but win. Nobody can ever beat her. She out. doesn't have any real goats though. Like in terms of, in terms of movies. Yeah. In terms of films, like what's her yeah, best, of, her best romantic comedy is what? Is the breakup. With her and her which and is Vince it's arguable that that's not a romantic comedy, given the second half of the movie being as dark as it is. Ah, uh, that that's part of a relationship, though. That's it, part of it. Is Marriage Story a rom com? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> we should we should have we should have done a whole Tommy Alter <laughs> rom com. Did you did you know this was a rom com? And Tommy just. Out there throwing out movies. This is all right. I'm up number four. Number four. Uh, Forty year old virgin. It's a good choice. I think, it's, I, think it's I like a, that choice. I know Shay is going to give me his hand. Forty year old virgin checks off every box of romantic comedy. What's the big gesture in that movie? What do you mean gesture? You need to have like the big romantic gesture. Oh, at the end when he rides his bike through the rain to go get her after he turns down Elizabeth Banks. I'm no. That's, I'm talking about like he needs to sing a song. In front of everybody, you're just making this shit up as you go. One hundred percent, I am. Forty Year Virgin is clearly a Rob Cobb. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very happy with my draft right now. Okay, you're okay, up. all right, all right. Uh, I'm up. Okay, my deserted island next movie that I need to have on there. This is the best modern rom com. This is the best rom com we've had in the last ten years. Kumail Nanjiani, Emily Gordon, uh, The Big Sick. 
fucking beautiful. Just uh, just a reinvention of everything we love about rom-coms. They take it, they do a new version of it uh, in a way that we've not seen. They like flip everything upside down and it's just, it's impeccably written, it's impeccably acted. Uh, everybody in there is great. This is this is one of the ones that you have to have if you're talking about the 10 greatest rom-coms Good choice. That, that we've Good ever choice. had. Underrated. Yeah. Absolutely underrated. That was one of those movies that came out and everybody said that it was awesome. And then I said to myself, I'm going to watch it. And then five years later, I still haven't watched it. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch I'm gonna it, queue it right up. now. I'm going to queue it up. It's it's. You're going it's to love it. You're going to love it. Did you did you ever see Trainwreck? Yeah. I thought that's underrated too. I thought I thought Trainwreck was... I know it's both Apatow. And they're, they're very different movies, but Trainwreck holds up, I think. Who's a better actor in that movie? Stoudemire or LeBron? LeBron. LeBron. LeBron's LeBron good. LeBron's him. LeBron's good in that movie. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's he's very charming. Yeah, he was good. Do I get my last two here? Yeah. Okay. No one's gonna like this choice. I don't fucking care. It's it's my <laughs> top five. Love actually. No, that's a good pick. That's a good it's pick. It's a Christmas movie. It's it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, but it's a movie you could watch at any point in time in the year. Yeah. I love that movie. It, it, so yeah, this, is, this, is a, this is a movie with a good example of a big gesture that everybody knows when he's standing there with the signs flipping through. That's what I'm talking about. That's Tom, creepy that's though. Need. That part was creepy. That's I still mean. don't. I still don't like that part. Okay. So I, I don't like understand the, how. I don't understand how y'all work. The writer who falls in love with the Portuguese woman and then teaches himself Portuguese and goes to her home village in front of her family and asks her, you know, to be you know, with him or whatever in broken Portuguese. I, that, that to me is, that's it. It's a good okay. choice. All right. I'm debating between knocked up and forgetting Sarah Mar Marshall for my last pick, but I'm going to go with knocked up. Y'all are getting real, like all the way up to the edge as far as what is or isn't a rom-com. Y'all are just picking straight comedies at this point. I don't understand why knocked up is not a rom-com. I, I don't either. It's, it's too, too much funny. It's, it's too, too funny. much comedy. Yes. Listen, Listen, this is what you this, this is how you could tell. If you go on a date with somebody that you love, and there's usually a point where you're like out on the date and you maybe make like two or three jokes just to just so you can hear a laugh or have a laugh. But if you just get out there and you're doing a fucking stand-up <laughs> comedy routine, the other person on the other side of the table isn't gonna be like, this was a romantic date. Like this was just a comedy. You were just doing a comedy show. Th those are the movies that y'all are picking right now. There's just too many jokes, too many laughs per minute. In the rom-com. I disagree. But, you know, do what you do. This is your podcast. Y'all are in charge. I'm so confused. All right, Che. Let's hear it. All right. My, my last one. I got to get I gotta get Jennifer Lopez in here somewhere. Um, so I'm going back and forth between Made in Manhattan and The Wedding Planner. And if I've got to pick between uh, either of those movies, I'm going to pick the one where Jennifer Lopez is not a maid. I'm going to go with The Wedding Planner. Her and Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is great. Jennifer Lopez is great. Uh, give, give, me, give me this one. On my deserted island, uh, we're having a great a great time watching a bunch of rom coms while you guys are on your islands watching just fucking comedy Watch after comedy and laughing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good choice. What's your feeling on How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? That's a solid pick. That's a solid Kate Hudson, another dark horse pick. Like, sure. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. The Knicks, the Knicks, and the Knicks Kings finals really threw me off. Small <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> small plot detail. I just couldn't get over. There's the scene in that movie where McConaughey is. Um, I think he's eating crab at the restaurant, but he's eating mm -hmm. it with his hands, mm -hmm. and and he's like he's like smacking his lips. He's yeah. not like he's not chewing properly, and he's out in public right. and he's doing this. And I swear to God, the man has never looked sexier. I just there's something about that scene. <laughs> where I'm like that's just peak Matthew McConaughey right there. <laughs> All right, am I closing it? Your last one. I think I got to go with Notting Hill. I got to go with okay, one of the. Good, I got to go with good. one of the basics. I have three. Have I have three classics, and I have two wild cards. Notting Hill is an excellent romantic comedy. Excellent, excellent. excellent. And you, one of us has to have Hugh Grant in there somewhere. So yeah. this was like, yeah, that's a solid. That, that you, you're like redeeming your deserted island right now. Let's hear it, JJ. What's the problem with Notting so, Hill? So, so here, here was my problem in watching this last night. So, Oof. I get Anna's desire, Julia Roberts' character. I get her desire for some normalcy in her life you know her her boyfriend her, is uh is also an actor and she you know she falls for Hugh Grant's character cuz she cuz he's normal 
But I just never, especially at the beginning of it, I never really got the spark between them. And she's like, she's legitimately going out of her way to act wild for this guy. And they're just, there's no chemistry. That's the, that's the issue I have. There's no chemistry between the two. No chemistry between, between Julie Roberts, Julie and, Roberts Hugh Grant? and Hugh Grant. Yeah, are I didn't think so. Are you fucking crazy? Are you crazy? <laughs> I didn't think so. What are you talking about? Oh my God. I don't know what to say other than this has been a terrible experience for me. <laughs> I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be fun. And it's it's turned out awful. I can't believe some of the things You're I'm so, hearing. You know what? God, I didn't realize how judgmental you were. Fuck, man. <laughs> oh man, this is like great. Like Hugh Grant doing his whole like sort of bumbling, yeah, charming bumbling thing, thing, which a- Andy McDowell does not get enough credit for. Like she cre- she invented this for Hugh Grant in four weddings and a funeral. But he's doing that like better than he's ever done it. Julia Roberts is just being Julia Roberts and I'm just standing in front of a boy asking, oh my God. And you're telling me there's no chemistry? There's no chemistry? What's It's like telling what? me, we you you looked at the picture of Wade dropping off the alley-oop to LeBron and you were like, I don't see it. There's no chemistry here. This is terrible teammates. This is awful. Awful. What What's the best rom-com of the last five years? Not counting Big Sick, it's probably going to be Set It Up or Always Be My Maybe. Both like two Netflix specials that came out. I saw Set It Up. Set it up was good. Really, really fun. Uh, I think I like like always be my maybe maybe two percent more. Um, I really like Randall. Wait, Park is set it is and, set it up the one where there are two assistants? Yeah, and yes. it's pay digs. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but doesn't that, it feel like doesn't really it feel like fun. it's fallen off though? Like the genre has fallen off since uh, my best friend's wedding came out. Um, after that, they have very much been like in the background of all of the movie conversations. Like this is for people, people have to like search these out. We, we, we sort of, you have to want to watch one of these. They're not going to be like a big showing. So when those movies came out, uh, there's like a Netflix is like bringing them back slowly, but it's been really, really great to see. But yeah, they're never going to be the most popular movies, but they're going to be ones I'm going to watch every single time. All right. We're going to do a quick, a quick round we're running a little low on time here. So we're going to do a quick round of questions. These are just easy questions, simple questions. Answer them as fast as you can. Speed round. Speed round. All right. Um, I'll start. So uh, you're a Spurs, huge Spurs fan. Give me your Spurs all-time top five. Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. No George Gervin. No. Well, listen, George Gervin is much better than Sean Elliott. I'm assuming I never watched him play. So I'm just going to give you the ones who I watched play. But if I look at numbers, clearly George Gervin should belong in there. I don't understand how you could put Sean Elliott over Kawhi. Is that just because of the way Kawhi exited? Kawhi won a finals MVP. He did. Listen, I'm just thinking like lifetime Spurs is what I'm feeling like. And I know Sean played played on other teams. So did George Gervin. No, Sean was great. Sean was great. Yeah. He was was here for a couple of years. I think there's like a six-year minimum. You have to be here to make the list. I'm just going to make that up right right now. Best tacos in North America. Mendez Cafe on the south side of San Antonio. Let's go, baby. One bean and cheese, one yeah, carnival yeah. and cheese, one big red. Let's go. Your fourth New York Times bestseller is actually a novel. What's the plot? My fourth New York Times bestseller is actually a novel. It is a plot about, I don't know how this works in like where y'all grew up, but in San Antonio, when the bus, the school bus comes to pick you up, it rides up and down like a certain number of streets and it picks up only the kids who live on those streets. So my New York Times bestseller, my first novel, is going to be about a bus riding up and down the streets, picking up like, a, a, I don't know, seven different kids. And then each chapter is like a chapter about that kid. And then we go with them to the school and we follow them. And then the book ends on the bus ride home. I'll connect all the pieces afterward, but that's what it's going to be about. Favorite airplane snack? The mix, Garibaldi's or something like that. What's that called? Oh, the Chex Mix thing? I don't know what Garibaldi. it's called. Yeah. Gar- Garibaldi, that's what it is. Good choice. I think that's what it is. I don't know what it's called. Last question. You're guaranteed that the Spurs win the next five NBA championships, but Trump gets reelected, so you have to go to the White House with the Spurs and sit next to him at dinner. Do oh, you take fuck that? that? Fuck that. No, no. We could never win another title for the rest of my life. Get him out of the White House immediately. Get him out of the White House. No thanks. No deal. No deal on that one. All right. Fair enough. All right. Wise words. 
Wise words indeed. Shay, thank you so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for all your expertise and for um, all of your non-judgment on the uh, the rom-com. Call me up for the next deserted island. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Thank you, man. <laughs>